Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? Yeah, you know Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. I'm down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? you ready to get down with D&D? I know I am, and today I have a special treat for you. It's me, Doc, and uh, I'm bringing you an interview from the mad wizard, Sean Merwin, with Alyssa Grant from Acquisitions Incorporated and Penny Arcade. So take it away, Sean. I am here with the illustrious, elusive, and electrifying Alyssa Grant. Alyssa, Welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on to talk about the Dungeons and the Dragons. Thank you so much for having me, Sean. I'm super excited to be here. Oh, we're excited to have you on. So we've talked about you on the show before, uh, but for those of our listeners out there who have, haven't heard that show, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do in the D&D slash entertainment business? Yeah, so I'm firstly quite honored that you have spoken about me on this. Um, and uh, I am uh, a producer uh, at Penny Arcade. I work on a, just a ton of different projects. Um, first and foremost, I uh, manage Acquisitions Incorporated as a brand. And, uh, produce the C team, um, and I'm also a partnerships uh, manager when it comes to the Penny Arcade program as well. And then I'll just touch some projects here and there. Um, and then a lot of what I do ends up working on uh, Dungeons and Dragons, and and I guess that's that's why I'm here today. Sweet. So before we get into the now, let's go back to the then. So what? Uh, when did you start? playing D&D or getting interested in, in D&D, uh, you know, what got you interested in the game and what keeps you interested? Yeah, so I started playing when I think I was 16 or 17. I believe I was 17. And uh, how did I get into it? I'm trying to think. I swear to God, it wasn't that long ago. Um, <laughs> but uh, I remember I had these friends who were talking about D&D and one of them had been playing for a long time and said, hey, I know that you seemed interested in playing this game. Do you want to put together a group? And the majority of us had not played at that point. And so we're like, yeah, okay, we have to roll characters and um, read up on these books and figure out, you know, what these mechanics are. And he was like, no, don't don't worry too much about, you know, the rules. We'll, we'll get through that together. Just think about what kind of character you want to play. And uh, I guess the rest is history. You know, we, play, we played this game for about, I would say, a year and a half or two years. And I was so invested in my character. And I absolutely adored her. And uh, I remember I even, we, we had this, this group that was super into it. And uh, so we had this birthday party. And I think the majority of those guys were like 21, 22, and I was 16 or 17. Um, I got a, a birthday cake that was uh, had a screen-printed um, D20 on it and I had his oh. his uh, birth birthday year um, um, on one of the numbers and I remember being like man I guess this is who I'm becoming is I'm just super invested in D&D now and like now I work I work on it <laughs> so yeah, that's that's great uh, so what 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 was what was your favorite part of the game back then you know what what drew you to it what kept, what made you play this weird game for you know a year and a half before you even knew what was happening? Um, gosh, what was it? Um, 
I think I think it had largely to do with um, you know as a kid I think a lot of us who played D and D were the kids that would run around and you know they had the sticks in their hands that were swords and you know we had the the pillowcases or sheets that were our capes and we climbed you know around uh, um, uh, construction sites and stuff thinking that that was the most adventurous thing in the world and so I think that that wasn't far off from that experience and it was something that was still lighthearted and escape from reality but you're you're creating something bigger than just yourself with your friends and uh i think that was magical to me um and so i think i started on 3.5 and then i went back to one and then i played a little bit of second edition and then i went directly to five so uh, <laughs> that's a that's a circuitous route but yeah, you got there it was a little strange but yeah it's it's kind of crazy to think. I think everyone thinks back about their first time playing D&D and where they are now, and it's it's kind of interesting to see the, the journey that you go through while you're playing D&D compared to the real world and how, you're, how that kind of impacts your games and how your games impact your real life. I think it's quite interesting. That, you know, that's, a very, that's a really great point I never thought of is you know, the fact that I've been playing since 19... 19- let's just say the the 70s um and i was very young when i started but it was the 70s and it does follow kind of a life path right because when you get super busy you just maybe can't play anymore but then you hit a point in your life where where you're missing something yeah and so you go back to to that which is what i did yeah um, it's like the the start of third edition it's like an accordion effect kind of sort of thing is that is that what you you've experienced as well yeah right yeah and and then once once I got back into it uh, after my daughter was born, it was it became more and more of something I wanted to do rather than just play. So, you know, it it I guess I, I matured a little bit in that time to the point where I, I was not only thinking about the game, but also how I can make money and how I can support a family doing this. Yeah, so it's just kind of it's kind of strange. So do you remember your first character? Yes. Um, my first character was a tiefling rogue. Um, and I've kind of taken her name and I've spun it off on a bunch of different characters just because I liked her name quite a bit, but, uh, her, her name was, um, Maruk and, uh, her name was Ruki for short. And I've used Ruki on several different characters just because she as a character has kind of developed more in my mind. Um, Mm -hmm. but her general concept has kind of remained the same. Um, so, uh, she, she had this this insane arc that I just remember so well and I, I still want to finish it to this day. Um, and uh, and I even messaged the my first DM not long ago and said, hey, uh, I, I know that you asked me to play this game years and years ago and I just want you to know that, you know, you changed my life by, by making, by allowing me to make, to, to bring this character to life. Wow. So, um, so. That's awesome. Yeah. Do you, do you ever think about your first character? I was I was so young that I really didn't know what I was doing. I I was at a friend's house uh and he had an older brother and so his older brother and his older brother's friends played but they would never let us play because we were, you know, 6th graders and they were in junior high or high school and and you know you couldn't but they it was a stormy night and some of them couldn't get there. So they asked us to come and play because they only had like two or three people and they needed more. So they just threw a character in front of us and said, here, and then roll this die and do this and say this. And so it really wasn't playing. It was more like sitting there and being told what to do. <laughs> but it was it was this whole magical thing of, oh, I'm with the older kids. 
and I'm doing this cool, weird thing. And so I, you know, I can still remember. I can close my eyes. I can remember the setting. Uh, I remember it was a rogue character in first edition. And I remember some of those things, but it wasn't like a character that I created lovingly as an alter ego of myself. You know, it was just kind of here, play this character. Now, do you still have that character sheet? No, I, I don't. I, I would. Yeah, I, I don't even know if uh, the, the type of paper that it was on is still made. How's that? <laughs> that would be a trip. That'd be a trip if yeah. you still had that. But my gosh. So do you remember from there the first character that you yourself created? Um. I think so. I think I made another version of that character, which was a rogue. Uh, I believe it was a halfling. Uh, being a short person, you know, you have to love the halflings. Yeah. And uh, and uh, yeah, so so it was it was just kind of you know an alter ego of myself. And then you make another character and you explore another uh, another trope or another uh, tenant of life. You know, I'm going to play the evil guy now, or I'm going to play the really valorous guy now. As opposed to the sneaky thief, you know, and it's as you play over the years, I think you you get to explore and you get to kind of be different people or at least your your imagination of what different people are. Yeah. Yeah. It's always interesting to me how um, you always pour somewhat of yourself into a character. Right. And so you might have a character that that more so represents you, but then you might play someone else and you're like, well, this is a completely new thing and it's a new challenge and I've never played a character like this, but you still end up it still ends up manifesting some of your own personalities in there, even if it is quite different mm -hmm. to another character. Right. I always find that and then every once, And then every once in a while you might say, well, I'm more interested in the rules about this. I want to see how this plays, yeah. this combination. So then you might make a character just on that and, and see you might not bring a lot of personality to it for that reason, but it's just it's just different avenues to to explore either story or mechanics or ideas or... Or anything like that. Agreed. Agreed. And cool. you can always have that one character where you you also, uh, what is the word I'm looking for? Um, where, I can't even think of the word. Um, where you, you basically try to take all the rules and you mess with them just a little bit. Um, right. And uh, you can see how far you can go with that character. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. That, now that you're saying it, there there is a word that I love, but I can't think of it right now. Uh, where you just kind of turn everything on its ear, you uh, you try to push the envelope you and do. you try to try to yeah break break the rules. See, neither of us can figure out this word. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's. Uh, I'll, I'll think of it right after we're done recording. Right, and I'll just scream it uh, <laughs> as I set up in the middle of the night. <laughs> so so you so you've you've played D and D. Uh, how did you get then to where you are now? Did you go into your work life saying? D&D, &D, or did you take a different path? Um, so I went to university with a media and communications major and a psych minor. Um, and I worked at this interactive media studio in university as well. Um, and I always thought, you know, I'd love to get into games. I think this would be a really neat world um, to explore. But to me, it was more about like the production around games. It wasn't like I want to be a game designer. Um, and uh, and so right as I got out of university, I went directly into this job working on HTML5 and app games for uh, children's games. So um, it was a small studio in downtown Seattle that uh, worked with like Hasbro and Nickelodeon. Um, and, uh, gosh, who else? Disney. 
and we just created a ton of games. I think on um, a bi-weekly basis, we had uh, at least three deadlines and 13 <laughs> different games just running through one producer at a time. Um, wow. And it was, it was quite an experience. Um, and I left there uh, quite burnt out, actually. Um, <laughs> and uh, uh, I just randomly applied for the producer, or was it at the time I was an associate producer role on the Dungeons & Dragons team. And I didn't know anyone there. Um, I was... I had just played a lot of home games, in fact, so I wasn't super familiar with um, a lot of the more iconic, you know, creatures, monsters, uh, um, locations of Dungeons and Dragons. But when I went there, I said, you know, I'm passionate about this and, uh, you know, I love Dungeons and Dragons and, and I love the process around games. And, uh, and I got, I got the role. Um, and, and then while I was there, I moved into the producer position, um, and worked on, uh, you know, Volo's Guide and, um, um, what else? I think Curse of Strahd had just been released when I joined. Um, and, uh, and it was a blast. It was a blast getting to know, um, the the property of Dungeons and Dragons and working on it with such a, a fresh perspective as well. Mm. Um, how did how did working on D and D jive with what you had been doing in the in the game industry? You know, it wasn't much different between digital and analog. Like there are still deadlines. There are you know still dependencies. Um, and you're working with a team, like it's all about the collaborative effort. And that goes, as far as I'm concerned, production is production. And as long as you are open to collaboration and learning and, um, uh, problem solving, then you can get through whatever project you want. Um, and I just was fortunate enough to work on a, a product that I absolutely adored. I would say the big difference, too, between what I did with the HTML5 and app games and Dungeons & Dragons is that D&D books take, you know, about a year, year and a half, roughly, um, from soup to nuts to create. And these HTML5 and app games were, you know, it took two months, three mm. months max. Right. Cool. So then what took you from Wizards to Penny Arcade? Okay, so um, I did briefly meet, I think, Jeff um, when I was at WotC because of the Acking stuff, right? So that's when right. Perkins was the DM. Um, mm -hmm. and, uh, and I had some buddies who worked on PAX. Um, I, I knew quite a few people who were just kind of in the industry. And I was floating in circles around a lot of the Penny Arcade people, but um, I only really knew Jeff, I believe, at the time. Um, maybe I had met Ryan Hartman, um, who is the director of events uh, for Penny Arcade. But um, uh, I left Watsi because my contract was up and they couldn't figure out the headcount in time to add me full time. Mm -hmm. So um, I left and then... Pinier Kate said, hey, we have this project that we would like you to explore. And at that time, it was um, a Kickstarter. So they asked me, will you build this Kickstarter and present it to us? And then we'll see where we go from there. So I did that and uh, presented this Kickstarter. And they said, all right, we, we, you know, like 
what you brought, I guess. And uh, they hired me not too long after that. And the original thought was that I would work on Acquisitions Incorporated and whatever miscellaneous projects that came through the studio. Um, I would work on a Kickstarter. Uh, and, uh, and then instead it turned into building the C-Team stream, which then turned mm-hmm. into taking on the stage uh, productions. And then <laughs> Jeff had to actually leave during two of the stage productions. Wow. Um, and he was like, you have this handled. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I don't have this handle. He's like, no, no, seriously, just do it. And uh, and so I figured it out and absolutely adored the shows. Like, I loved them. It was exhilarating. So what, what goes into a production for for one of the stage shows? Um, it depends on the show. So for okay. West, which is our largest show, that's the one that's costumed. That's the one that has, you know, quite a spectacle. Um, sure. That has a lot of, you know... Um, pieces that go outside of it before before the show that include like you know getting the diorama um figured out commissioning the uh the table making sure that the costumes are good commissioning costumes um and then also just lightly working with at the time it was chris perkins and now it's jeremy crawford um to make sure that they have everything that they need um and then it's really just making sure, like, before the show, I will reach out to our just amazing um, stage manager, Mark, um, who who just needs all of the information. So I'll say, okay, here are the videos that we need for the backdrop. Here are um, the players that we have. Here's the lighting cues that go up um, when the players come out. Uh, when we hear this this word, we're going to change the backdrop um, to a different setting. <laughs> So just a bunch of random small miscellaneous things that I need to have happen. And then day of, it's like making sure that the players all have what they need, um, making sure that the tech is working. I also go through and, you know, that pre-show before, um, the the D20 pre-show. I edit that all together. So um, Chris Straub gave me the majority of the files and I'll edit those together. So it's just like just a ton of miscellaneous items. Right. So while the show is actually going on, are you... In the in you know backstage cowering or <laughs> I, are you actually I, moving things around? Yeah, so uh, Jeff originally was pretty hands off. Um, he would make sure that everything was running pretty smoothly. But then we did the D and D Beyond integration, and now uh, Mark right. has trusted me enough to help um, call some of the the shots moving between D and D Beyond and the table. And then mm-hmm. I'll also be there in case any tech stuff um, happens that I need to answer. Um, I'll also be messaging the players on stage if we have monitors up there to communicate with them in case they need to move a mic. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's, it is a lot of weirdly troubleshooting. Like I'm sitting back there very alert about right. what's going on. Cause I'm, I'm switching between different windows. Okay. So, so when a character does something that refers to their character sheet, the, the screens will show their character sheet so the audience can know how badly some of them are cheating. I mean, <laughs> how... Uh, <laughs> you said it, not me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I, I'm allowed to say it, right? <laughs> no, but it's it's very interesting. And uh, I've been to three or four of them now, and I even brought my family to one. And, you know, my, my family plays, and they've heard, you know, things about it because I've talked about it before. But when they were there for... They were there for the Circus of Blood, uh, 
oh episode, which was probably the best one to be at that <laughs> I've seen so far, because the audience was so involved and it was such a, a crazy scene. And my daughter was just enthralled at that point. She just wanted more and she wanted to see the show and she wanted to do all these things. And it was just that shows how powerful that medium can be um, to, to tell a story and to bring an audience right into uh, the hobby it's as a so whole, true. really. It's yeah. so true. And in, in my mind, it's equivalent to, you know, going to a soccer game or a football game, you know. Um, mm. And when Perkins began the Green Flame chant, um, which mm-hmm. I think was a reference to Big Trouble Little China. Um, yeah. And uh, he he started this this uh, this interaction with the audience that we had never mm-hmm. seen before. Right. And so we're always trying to expand on that. How can we interact with the audience to make them feel like this is also their game? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's why we have the, the D20 pre-show. That's why we now have Jackbox integration. So during the the uh, previews before the game, people can answer fun questions and polls um, through uh, Jackbox um, setup. And uh, and and now it's turned into we have green flame foam fingers. So when people, you know, <laughs> can can shout green flame, they can raise their hands. And yeah. and like you were saying with the blood, you know, now we have the, the red light that shines on the entire audience whenever blood is said or chanted. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's just it's amazing. Yeah. It really is. It really is. And that that's really a double edged sword, too. Of course, when you get a live show like that, you want the audience involved but you want them involved in a way that's not going to make chaos oh my gosh uh, especially for the people up on stage yes and actually that is something that i'm constantly thinking about so i have some ideas for Wes that i really want to try out um and maybe i'll i'll just tell you right now so um uh i'm thinking about you know how when you go to a sporting game and when they want everyone to be quiet during a shot it'll say shh on the big screen i want to do that and then i want to also have like cues that's like you know blood chanting or green flame chanting because i really want everyone to have this joint experience of all right when is the time to be a part of it in a way that's going to make it more interesting yeah yeah and i think especially in that circus of blood episode uh yeah uh jeremy really had he used the crowd perfectly there right because we were in the game exactly we were the crowd and it was just it was perfect it was giving role players a chance to role play from the audience uh it was it was brilliant yeah so yeah no jeremy's a fantastic dm he's Mm -hmm. oh for (laughs) for sure i mean people that show i i was walking around the show in uh San Antonio, and I heard a lot of people grumbling. Oh, they're getting a new DM. Oh, he's, nobody's better than Chris Perkins. And you know, I've seen Jeremy. I I don't know Jeremy well, but I've interacted with him enough and seen him DMing enough to know. You have no idea how brilliant this DM is. Yeah, he is. He is a showman. He is smart. You know, he is everything that that is perfect for doing what what uh, acquisitions incorporated does up yeah. on stage he's brilliant and in a way you know i i can't even compare perkins and jeremy just because right they bring such different flavor and flavor that is admirable right right like we oh sure we all want to you know be perkins as dms and then jeremy mm-hmm. shows up and we're like we all want to be <laughs> jeremy <laughs> right DM. but but the, yeah it, and it, but it just goes to show that there are so many skills that go into dming mm-hmm. And you don't have to be perfect at all of them, but if you can nail a couple of them, yeah, 
y- you can you can really entertain a variety of players or hey you know an audience of thousands uh with your dming yeah yeah i mean you just look at the, the dming styles between jerry jeremy and perkins you know matt mercer alone like all four of them have just such different styles but they're all compelling you know Mm -hmm. right when jerry dms i i'm watching and i'm it's almost like a poetry reading right i'm just sitting there waiting for what's that next word he's going to say yeah because it's going to either be brilliant or hilarious (laughs) or you know it's like on the edge of your seat waiting to hear what that what the, yes. what is the word he's leading up to oh man or what is this joke he's leading up to you know i love the thought that c team is is slam poetry D D with jerry Hawkins. <laughs> <Right. Wilkins. laughs> <Yeah. laughs> all right so so what's a typical day for you at uh at the penny arcade offices as you do your uh D or acquisitions incorporated work um it is honestly so different every single day, you know, because I work on partnerships with pins and now it's pin season. So that's about, you know, Mm. six or seven months of my life. Um, Mm -hmm. Just working between the different PAX shows. And and I love, I love working so closely with so many partners on their designs that they bring in. And then you have to jump from that to maybe working with the Idol Champions guys um, um, or Codename Entertainment guys on Idol Champions um, to, we were working on Neverwinter. And so it's like, it's constantly jumping between different projects. So you almost have this, this mindset of, Hey, I'm going to work on this for the next five minutes. And then, oh my gosh, and you jump over to this other thing and let's prioritize what the day looks like. So, mm-hmm. um, it's, to me, it's, it's a lot about just communicating and making sure that everyone's on the same page. Um, and like mm-hmm. Penny Arcade is filled with people who are, um, good friends but also respectful colleagues so mm-hmm. so we also you know all will walk around and talk to each other about our projects and you know brainstorm mm-hmm. and then go back to our desks and sell ourselves off for a bit so it's kind of like this flow that happens every single day this little dance mm-hmm. so so how is how is the cat juggling uh you, you get a lot of different people right that you have to make sure are in the right place at the right time doing the right thing. Um, is, is there a, is, is there a secret sauce that you can pour, pour on a project to, to make, uh, to make everyone come together? Is it just a matter of sheer will and organization to, to get things done? Uh, I would say it's organization mixed with some barbecue sauce mixed with, um, um, I think like first and foremost to me is like, you, you need to start off a project with everyone on the same page. You know, to me, transparency um, about where everyone sits and where everyone feels that they are and making sure that everyone has a voice um, in the way that they need to. Um, I think that that's the biggest key to making a project work. So, gosh, when we were working on the book, um, you look at the credits and there are just so many people. And mm-hmm. I absolutely enjoyed working with everyone just every everyone just was so passionate about and they all wanted to do their best on this book because they wanted it they wanted it to succeed um but there were so many moving pieces just constantly yes um i had to log my hours the other day to just like figure out exactly how many hours i worked on this book uh while doing everything else and i think it was somewhere like over 1300 or 1400 hours 
or something. You, know, I, you say that, and I, I, part of me goes, wow. And then part of me says, no, that sounds just about right. Yep, yep. <laughs> um, so I had a lot of very late nights. And you'd think that a producer can't do a lot when everyone else is asleep. But it turns out that's when they get the most work done. Um, I, that I believe, too. Right. That I believe, too. Um, so, so let's talk about the book for a second. Yeah, let's do it. All right. So you came on um, at Penny Arcade and they said, hey, we want to do a Kickstarter for this for this project. And it was for the book, correct? Uh, at that time, what was it for? Oh, it was Ack Inc. The Series 2. Oh, OK. So it wasn't it wasn't the Kickstarter for the book yet? No, no, oh, not okay. yet. But okay. we were mulling over how we wanted to do the book. And then we we're like, All oh, right. wait, but we should turn this around. So I created the, the Kickstarter for the series. And then mm -hmm. two months later, they're like, scrap it. We're going to do this for the book. And I was like, great. That's what we're going to do. Okay. So I basically just converted it all. All right. So what was working on this book like, especially compared to how it was when you worked on a book at Wizards? Um, so at WotC, everyone has a pretty defined role, right? So mm -hmm. as the producer, um, I would reach out to the, uh, the writers um, and the copy editors and make sure that everyone was lined up um, in terms of you know timing and making sure that they're available. Same thing. I also worked on the novels for um, uh, the D and D team, um, and uh, it was all about making sure that everyone was available. And then it was we went. You know, I would schedule people to to get into a, a meeting room, and we would all sit down and start discussing ideas. So there were some creative aspects to it as well. Um, for Volo's Guide, I remember we were all in a meeting and we were talking about. Um, um, all of the creatures that we wanted to see in the book. Um, and so we had like a prioritized list of what are our favorite creatures versus what are ones that we can scrap. Um, and so while there, there were some creative aspects to my job at WOTC, um, it was also much more about making sure that everyone had the tools that they needed um, in order mm -hmm. to, to work on it. So, you know, Jeremy would work directly with the writers, um, um, and uh, the copy editors. So I wouldn't get as much face time with the writers or mm -hmm. copy editors. It was really just to make sure that they were good to go schedule wise. Sure. Um, and I, when we started working on this Penny Arcade book, um, I generally knew what all of the different steps were for the, the process of creating a book. Um, mm -hmm. I, I knew what went, went into it, but I hadn't done a good portion of the, you know, in the weeds creative work. Um, right. So, you know, the, the weekly, you know, basis of or the, the the weekly touch base of talking to the um, the writers or the copy editors or even the managing editor. But Jeremy was the managing editor, so mm -hmm. when Scott was our managing editor, I was like, okay, just tell me what you need. Just I just I just need to know what you need because I, there's a lot I actually don't know and I'm learning right now. Um, and then uh, at Watsi, there are also um, a couple different. Um, art directors. So there's an art director for a lot of the cover work and the marketing work. Um, there's an art director for the concept work. And then there's a marketing director who works directly on all the books. Or not, not marketing director, art director who works on the, the yeah. books. Um, and on this project, I sat down with uh, Scott, Jerry, Kiko, and Mike. And we were looking at a lot of the writing that you, and, you Teos, and Scott handed over. And we were like, okay, what, what would be compelling pieces? And I know that you guys handed over some um, lists of art as well. So we went mm -hmm. through all of those art orders. And then we went through um, 
uh, additional art orders and art pieces in general, and we drafted all of those up as well. So while that was a collaborative effort between you and Teos and uh, um, our team at Penny Arcade, working on art itself was quite a different experience. <laughs> yes, that's for sure. Yeah. I mean, especially when you look at when you look at the book compared to other Wizards books, how diverse some of the the art is. Um, you know how how it fits a theme not only with its content but with its style. Um, you know I can I've written a lot of art orders over the years. Uh, pulled pulled most of what's remaining of my hair out uh, <laughs> during that process because it was it was eye opening for me to be a writer. The first time I worked on a D and D book and they said, well, "Can you send the art send the art order in?" And I just deer in the headlights look i have no idea what you're talking about i don't know what an art order is so i had to learn that whole process and you know that takes almost as much time as the writing itself in in some cases yeah you know and and that's just for the writer not not the person that is going to be putting the whole book together that's you know magnitudes uh more time yeah to to do yeah There, there are a lot of things that you wouldn't even consider when you think about art orders like when we were reading through we were thinking, okay, well, this needs to convey this scene, but mm-hmm. really, what it is is this—it's one single second, it's one single snapshot mm-hmm. of something that's happening. So you can't ever say this is an action. This is an action that is happening in right. this book because they're not doing something; they they are doing this one very specific thing. Right. They they are you have to catch them in the moment. Exactly. And and it can't be too complicated. Yeah, so you can't be like uh, because, yeah, this yeah. deep crow is flying around this this ship and is, you know, it's stormy so it's raining and there's, you know, thunder and lightning all over the place and also there's a tentacle creature and, you know, and also people. Right. It's like wow, well, depending on the 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 size of it, first of all, you can't have many figures in it. Right. And yeah. you have to capture exactly where they are and, you know, right. but also leave up or leave open some some interpretation for the artists so that it sure. is a collaboration and that they get to have their own say in what, how it looks. Yep. It's crazy. Yeah. It's a crazy world. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's making a book is work. It's funny how that. Uh, <laughs> what a concept. How, how that comes out in the end. Yeah. yeah. So uh, did, did anything else? The the one thing I wanted to ask, and I don't know how how much you can talk about it, but when the the book was originally planned, and Jerry's talked about this, when the book was originally planned, it was going to be a Kickstarter, and you know maybe we'd have some stretch goals, and a lot of the work was done under that assumption, and then everything switched when Watsy got involved. Yeah, um, you know how problematic was that for you as? as the person who's putting all of this together to have that sort of switch right in the middle. Gosh. Well, so we were in talks with Watsi for a few months before we finalized the contract of mm-hmm. that. This was going to be an official Wizards of the coast D and D book. Mm-hmm. And, and so I knew that there was a potential that it was going to happen, but I didn't know, um, how locked in stone it was going to be, right? Or how set in stone it was going to be. Um, and so when we finally figured everything out in terms of IP, I think, if I remember correctly, we were, we were writing and creating um, to the, uh, I guess, the assumption that there was a potential that was going to happen. And if it wasn't, we we would be able to re skin it just in case we couldn't get that 
So we were pretty safe about it. However, you know, there, there, it, it did make the timeline a little funky and it made the timeline funky for Watsi as well. And they were like, okay, so you have half of this content finished. And we we're like, yes. And they're like, okay, but we still need to review everything. We're like, yes, you do. And, <laughs> and, and they were saying yes, but, but we, we still need to make sure that everything falls in line with our own IP. And so everything was like a, yes, we want to continue working together. Let's figure out a way to make this collaborative, even though work had already been done, but also mm. because we wanted to make sure that it fell in line with what Watsi wanted and, and vice versa. They wanted to make sure it's what we wanted as well. Sure. Um, and so there were a lot of discussions and a lot of review periods. Um, and uh, there were some things that we decided to remove and some things that we decided to add. And I think overall the book feels extremely cohesive because of that, because of that mm. workshopping. Um, but yeah, it was, it was definitely an interesting experience, um, <laughs> jumping between it. And yeah, I remember the first review meeting we had with them, we had half of the, the content finished, you know, like we had, yeah. I think at that point, 80 pieces of art delivered to them. Right. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. How do you do that? It, but, but, but it got done. And I think that's the important thing. It did. And it was such a privilege to work with the the D, D team and they gave us some amazing insight um mm -hmm. ben petrosor is uh the person who does a bunch of the balancing um on the D, &D side and i remember getting on a few phone calls with him and he just gave me so much insight to you know well we need to change these numbers because uh this doesn't work with this in this edition or you know this is the way that you format this because of um mm -hmm. um you know, our look and feel of the brand. And granted, we had Scott, who's worked on Scott Fitzgerald right. Gray, who's worked on every single product known to man. Mm -hmm. um, right. And so he was really good about making sure that we looked like a Wizards of the Coast official product from the get go. But, mm -hmm. you know, there are still things that we had to figure out. Sure. Yeah. And, and you know, having worked with Wizards for a long time, things change from year to year even within the wizards you know i i i was writing at the beginning of fourth edition on four different projects because i had an advanced copy of the rules yeah so they they needed content so i was working on four different things with four different leads i was under and i was getting four different instructions from each one really you know, one would say one would say you should never do x so I would go and change all four projects, and then I would get a, a response. Oh, we always do X, you know, by this other lead. No, I'm like, wait a second. You, yeah. So they were still. I mean, this was back several yeah, years, years ago. Yeah, years and years ago. But but you know, things change even within within that. You know, within the the style guide. You know, over the years. Yeah. Or over you know from month to month, project to project. So you know, it's. I think having obviously having Scott was amazing yeah um, and having even the other editors like Chris Sims uh, and Michelle Carter who had done work for Wizards um, plenty of work for Wizards over the years yeah. I think that helped get that initial thing we did to them in in a way that it didn't have to be completely rewritten yeah yeah no Scott yes Scott and the editors it was such a pleasure to work with all of them they brought a lot of insight to the project that's for sure that mm -hmm. i would yes. not have known what to do with you know um right. but i guess that is a question for me too for you is you know how was working on this book different from working on other books uh, it was it was different in the sense where i knew i knew the constraints that i would have writing for a book for wizards yeah 
And with Penny Arcade, you can step outside of some of those constraints, be it the humor or, you know, be it bringing in anachronistic elements because that's what it is, right? It's, it's a corporation. Um, so it still fits within the D and D world, but wizards wouldn't want you doing some of those things. Uh, whereas with Penny Arcade and with Acquisitions Incorporated, you could definitely do it. So, you know, I went in a little bit freer, but writing funny is hard. Writing funny is much harder than writing any other kind of, of writing, as far as I'm concerned, because there, that's it's just another level of thing that you have to fine tune. Um, do, you know, does, does this joke go too far? Does it not go far enough? You know, those sorts of things. So there was a lot of that. And as when I heard that Wizards was would be involved, my first thought was, oh, no. <laughs> Not not because I didn't not because I don't love wizards because I love wizards, uh, not because I thought anything would be ruined, but it's because I know what I turned in I would not have turned into them. Yeah, it's just so a completely when, different what, tone. And exactly you know, when when you're working yeah. with the people with, with the people that you have worked with for, you know, as long as you have, you right. you don't know if that's going to come out the same. Exactly. So I I'm closing my eyes and I'm lying there in bed going. <laughs> Like Jeremy Crawford and Chris Perkins are looking at what I wrote, and I know exactly what they're going to say. <laughs> you know, why did you do this? Why did you do? Th because I wasn't writing for D and D, you know, for Wizards. I wasn't writing an official book. I was writing in this tone, with this style, with this, you know, with with this whole view. And so, but it, as I read the book after it was done, I thought, okay, what what needed to be changed was changed, and what needed to be left in I think was left in yeah. I think it's good for the the acquisitions incorporated fans and I think it's good for D&D &D players who you know who want to get something new for their D&D &D game yes. I think it, it works all the way around which was really what I was going for yeah and I wanted people to laugh when they read it you know, I wanted people to get a little chuckle out of it whether you're a fan of of acquisitions incorporated or not I wanted it to be funny yeah and I think I think we hit hit a good tone uh, throughout. I agree. You know, I was in the, the car with my sister uh, two days ago and uh, I handed her the book and I gave it to her for her birthday and uh, she opened it up and just started reading out of it and was immediately just laughing. And I had had never experienced that yet. You know, I know that some people are like, I think even Taos was saying that he had picked it up with his son and mm -hmm. uh, his son was reading it out in the car. That was exactly right. what happened with my sister. And it's just a different experience to, um, you know, be able to to experience it through someone else's eyes who hasn't seen it so much. Right. And we were talking about this before we uh, jumped on um, um, to recording. Uh, but we were saying, you know, the thing about how this is for acting fans. However, it's also for... D&D fans, like you just said, and yeah. that people are saying that it is and that even if they're not necessarily familiar with the 10 years of acting content, that it's yep. for them as well. That's anything that's more than we could have asked for, you know? Sure. Yeah. And that's that's that was my one concern. And I think that concern based on the feedback I've seen, especially from people who I know are honest with their feelings, they're not going to say nice things just to say nice things. And they're saying I don't know anything about Acquisitions Incorporated and I'm going to use this book yeah. or I'm going to use this adventure or I'm going to use these pieces of it. And, and that's, that's what I wanted going in. So yeah. Yay. Yeah. Congratulations. <laughs> yes. You too. Hey, thanks. <laughs> 
so Penny Arcade uh, PAX West is in the offing. Um, what do we have to look forward to there? Can you tell us a little bit about what what's going on, what you're going to be doing for that? Hmm. Even what the dates are. The dates. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. You would think I'd have this on the, off the top of my head. Um, so it's always uh, Labor Day weekend. Actually, that's not true. Every fourth year, it is not on Labor Day weekend. <laughs> Because it, but it's not one of those years. No, it is not one of those years. Um, but uh, uh, it's on August um, 30th through September 2nd. So that is a Friday through a Monday. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, we're gonna we're we're gonna be hitting the ground running when it comes to book content. You know, um, we're looking to fly hopefully some of the collaborators out. Um, we want to do a signing, which you'll hear from me soon, Sean. Um, <laughs> uh, um, what else we want to, so we want to do a big signing. We want to have, um, a panel, uh, and, um, hopefully we'll have some organized play content there as well. And so we're okay. looking into having some sort of experience, a smaller experience for West and, uh, don't tell anyone, you know, because this is not a podcast whatsoever. Um, <laughs> but, uh, uh, we are looking to expand it more for Unplugged. So hopefully we'll have small content at West, small content at Oz, and then for Unplugged we'll, we'll, you know, expand it. Um, Sweet. and then, and, yeah. And then the, oh. oh, then, then we'll, we'll get the C team and the, the AI team live, I assume, again? We will get a C-team panel, which I think I will do some sort of game during during it. Not, not a D&D game, but maybe like a fun Jackbox game or, you know, okay. them them doing something casual, uh, yeah. which we always do at West. We, we typically don't do a game for them at West just because West is such a, a large show that oh, um, we want to you know, a lot more time for um, Mike and Jerry to to work on other projects. And I, I know that yeah. I have a ton of partners to see. And um, generally speaking, like Ryan is crazy busy during that. So gotcha. more than an hour is just difficult. Um, right. So we will do uh, a panel for the C team. And then we will, of course, have the Akink game. Um, Sweet. So I'm very excited for that. I actually know... Uh, I know what dioramas we have uh, or that, that we're making, and I am so excited for this. Everyone's going to go wild. Well, I know that I am looking forward to seeing what you guys are cooking up there. Well, thank you very much. And, of course, I, of course we'll see you there, yes. Absolutely. <laughs> I would not miss it for the world. And so uh, if people want to hear more about you on, say, Twitter or such, where can they follow you and learn more of your exploits? Yeah, so I'm uh, Hobbitzes, H-O-B-B-I-T-Z-E-Z, -E on, uh, on Twitter. <laughs> and, uh, and then, um, gosh, where else? I, basically, I work on the C team. I work on Ack Inc. So any of that stuff is... Stuff that I've directly, you know, um, touched. And so so if you want to check out any of those, we have akink.com. That's ak-ink.com. Um, and then obviously the book is out and you can get that in many different places, including your core hobby stores. You can get it off the Penny Arcade site, Barnes & Noble, Amazon, all of those places. Um, awesome. So yeah. Thank you, Shadow Chancellor, for gracing us with your presence. Thank you so much, Sean. It's such a pleasure talking with you. All right, you take care. Thank you, Alyssa, for coming on the show. And thanks, Sean, for that great interview. Down with D&D &D is a 
Misdirected Mark Production, the media arm of Encoded Designs. And until next time, go out there and kill some monsters. But funny. Because it's harder. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? Who's down with D&D? Yeah, you know me. I'm down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D?